Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. It's Tuesday the 4th of February 2020 is World Cancer Day. Sandy speaks to Ina from Sakorn through cancer. Ina is a cancer survivor that has lived through stage 3 breast cancer and along with her co-trustee Samina has worked to raise the awareness of cancer in women from South Asian origins. This is an amazing interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Welcome Ina, how are you today? I'm very well thank you and thank you for having me, I'm excited. How did um, Sukorn Through Cancer develop? Tell us more about your charity and your cause. Um, so Sukorn Through Cancer um, started after a personal journey um, with breast cancer. So I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer at the age of 30. Um, this was in 2015. So I started my um, New Year's um, making a New Year's resolution to lose some weight and be healthier and work out. I was always good with my food, um, but it was more, I know, be healthy, work out and, um, you know, make that commitment. I think I think most people make that commitment in New Year's res- as a New Year's resolution, don't they? So, um, And then I think whilst um, before going into a shower, I felt a lump at the bottom right hand side of my breast. And I thought I kind of um, can't explain it. I kind of just kind of stood still for a moment and thought, what is this? And um, was completely baffled and just kind of stood there and then kind of took a while and kind of felt my breast. And I thought, okay, I can feel like this really big ball, literally a ball in my breast, which doesn't seem right. And then I kind of felt the left breast and thought, okay, I don't have the same thing on the other side, so that can't be normal. And keep in mind, I've never self-checked. So I've never self-examined my breast, ever done it. And um, I kind of then ran into, and this was um, a weekday, I think it was a a Wednesday evening, um, quite late at night. My son, who was four at the time, was in bed asleep. My husband was asleep. He had to wake up quite early for work the next day. And um, must have been about past kind of 10 p.m. And I kind of went and woke him up and said, can you feel this? Is Am I going mad? And he kind of woke up in between his sleep like, oh, my goodness, what's this? What's going on? So I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so kind of fast forward a little bit. I kind of went and called the GP the next morning. She did a checkup, told me that she would send me for a referral at the breast clinic in Windsor, the Windsor Parapet Clinic. Um, and literally the following Monday, um, I got a call from them to say, we've got an appointment for you tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, so yeah, so it was quite quick. Um, I went for an appointment on the Tuesday and they did mammograms, biopsies. Um, and a week, exactly a week later on the following Tuesday, I was called in um, and I was told by the breast surgeon um, that I had stage three breast cancer. So, you know, succumb through cancer has been kind of coming to the world because of not just my journey, but my co-founder of the charity, Samina Hussain, and because of her breast cancer journey as well. We both went through cancer at pretty similar time. Our journeys overlapped a little bit. She was diagnosed in 2014 and I was in 2015. Um, And kind of like a part of our journey, um, you know, being diagnosed, I think, no matter which 
culture or which society or which background you're from is hard you know cancer is hard to even hear the words that you've been diagnosed with cancer is hard and and I was what 30 years old my son was four years old I just got a new job I had a new house life was amazing and then you get hit by you've got stage three breast cancer you've got to have you know the, the meetings are quite horrid you know the first meetings are pretty harsh um, you know, they get straight to the point. It was you've been diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, Mrs. Bart. Your um, you know, the next year, this whole year is going to be a difficult year. It's going to be in treatment. You will have to have um chemotherapy where you will lose all your hair. You will have um surgery um where you will lose both of your one or both of your breasts, and you will then have to have radiotherapy every single day for a month. And you're like, okay. So yeah, so the journey's quite um. It's difficult. It's difficult to put your head around. How do you go from having what people call a normal life, you know, working, kids, family, being busy, um, to putting yourself in a headspace that, you know, you've got cancer. And and let's be honest, you know, I'm sure, Sandy, you've probably heard the same. How many people hear that, you know, you've got cancer, okay, you're going to die? Um, we hear it all the time. And, you know, that's what my initial thought process was okay I've been diagnosed stage two breast cancer I'm going to die um you know how many people do I know who've had cancer and survived probably none um so yeah it was it was a hard journey to go through but I think what makes the journey a lot harder is um the stigma and taboo that's attached um within the South Asian community it's it's difficult and just, I'm just going to kind of take it back um, a little bit. Definitely. Explain what Sukun means for those who may not know the understanding so, of it. So Sukun means tranquility. So the, let me explain where the, the name for the charity came from. Mm-hmm. Sukun um, is a word that me and Samina really resonated with, Um as an experience through our treatment, we both felt that um, sukun is a word that is, is, is tranquility, peace is something that you need um, to cope through your treatment during cancer. If you don't have peace of mind, if you don't have some form of tranquility, you will struggle even more through cancer. You know, cancer is a, is a horrid thing and you need to kind of put yourself in a pace, place of tranquility and in order to push yourself through the fight of surviving. Um, and Samina always said, you know, I love that name, Sukun. I, I love that name, Sukun. That means a lot to me. And I was like, yeah, me too. You know, that, for me, I felt that's what kind of pushed me through my treatment. And Samina's like, yeah, me too. And um, we both kind of sat there one day and we were just brainstorming with um, our oncologist, Dr. Tanvi. And um, when we were having the very, very early discussions about this charity over two, two, three years ago. And we both kind of just kind of clicked it together she was like yes Sukun, Sukun. I was like yeah and I said yeah but that's what we needed didn't we through our treatment she's like yeah absolutely we're like okay so why don't we name the charity Sukun through cancer because ultimately what you need is a place of tranquility and not just as an experience of tranquility and where you need to be within your treatment that's what we want to provide to others we want to provide to others a place of tranquility we want to provide a place that's safe that's um um peaceful for people um so for us that's where 
that's where succumbing so through cancer came from. That was, <clears throat> excuse me. It's really beautiful because it's so important for individuals to feel that relatability. And I guess you and Samina both found that through Sukorn, you found that within each other and your journeys both started within a year of each other. Yeah, Samina was 2014 during the summer, I believe, and um, I was January 2015. So she was a few months, just a few months ahead of me on my journey. And your diagnosis and your experience of finding that lump in your breast and going to the doctors and your scans happened very quickly. How did that impact you as a young woman in her 30s, especially Asian, who's, as you said, you had the house, you were married, had children. Essentially, that's that's the goal of most Asian families is for their daughter or their, their child to have everything like that. And as soon as everything is there, they're settled. But for yeah. you, as you said, it was going from a normal life to a life that you never expected to experience how did that impact your life it's um you know it's strange because then you know and I knew no different you know so for me the fact that it happened so quick um in a strange way for me it was good because it mm-hmm. it didn't leave me pondering around for too long or worrying for too long I think mm-hmm. um you know, I'll give you an example. I had my um, fourth, fifth year annual scan um, in January, just literally um, two weeks or three weeks ago. And normally what's been happening every year, I get my result um, exactly a week later and I have an appointment with my oncologist. And for this year, for some reason, whatever, I don't know what, I didn't have an appointment with my oncologist. So I called up and said, why don't I have my appointment? And she said, oh, we're just really busy. We'll send you a letter. A letter came a week and a half, nearly two weeks later. For me, that was it was horrible. I just kept thinking, oh, my goodness, something's wrong. Oh, my goodness, something's wrong. Why would it be more than a week? Why is it taking so long? What's going on? What's going on? And in my head, I kept thinking, at the back of my head, I kept thinking and kept thinking. So actually, the fact that I was, I found a lump, I was checked and tested within, what, Thursday? I found the lump Thursday evening. Friday morning, I was at the GP. Mon- Tuesday, I was at the parapet clinic. And the following week, so within a week and two days, I was found a lump and diagnosed. Actually, I think that made it that little bit easier for me. It didn't give me too much time to go absolutely crazy on Google like most people do. Um, you know, Google, you have a flu and it tells you you're dying. So it's probably not the best thing for anyone to do, to go and search on Google when, you know, something like this happens. But we're human and we do. We want to know, you know, we're inquisitive and we want to find out what's happening. But I think that the speed of it, um, for me, and again, everyone's journey is very different and everyone's thought process is so different. But for me, it made it that little bit easier. But at the same time, it didn't give me enough time to plan what I'm going to do with my life. It happened so quick that, you know, we had just brought our house. It had only been, I think, um, eight weeks, six to eight weeks. I'd just moved into my new place. Um, I had only had a job, but it was less than three months and I'd moved into a new job. So I wasn't covered under sick pay policy or anything or private cover. Um, And my son had just started private school three months before. So and I think 
I think the difficult part is when these diagnoses happen and the doctors are doing a fantastic job in the NHS, don't get me wrong, they are doing brilliant. And, you know, if it wasn't for their treatments and their support, I wouldn't be here today. But the reality is there's a huge part of when you're diagnosed that in the background that people don't realise. And my life was turned upside down. My husband's self-employed. So if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. Um, I was under no sick pay cover. So everything that we had built to that point, which we felt was an achievement, was all lost financially. And you don't think about the financial when somebody tells you you're about to die. <laughs> you just think, yes. oh, my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, I've got cancer. Um, but the reality is your mortgage bills are still going to go out. Your electric gas is still going to go out. You know, life around you doesn't stop. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the speed of it just um, – the good thing was, yeah, it didn't give me too much time to ponder on it and what the result would be. Um, but on the other hindsight, on the other side, it didn't um, it didn't give me any time to even think about what I'm going to do on a practical level with my life. What am I going to do with my four-year-old son who has to go to school now? How am I going to drop him off? And how did, how did that impact you mentally as well as your husband? Because you mentioned you know, you're self-employed, started a new job, bought a house. It was impacting you financially um you didn't have the time to think about it practically how did you manage that with instead of the fears kicking in or if they did how did you manage that mentally and and still cope with going Um, to the hospital and having the support because thankfully with the NHS as you said yeah. You had that quick turnover and they were able to get you at a stage where they knew what to do and how to guide you, how to support you. Um, and I think you hear a lot of stories when there's just there's such a delay with the NHS. There's this much, the waiting time is this and the, the list for this is. And it's it's so empowering and impactful to know that the turnaround for other elements with the NHS is that they do have a responsive time and they do get back to things very quickly and they do prioritise. You know, you know, you, there's good and bad in everything, isn't it? And, and mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not belittling somebody else's experience who's had a bad mm-hmm. experience with the NHS. We've not always all had a great experience. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, we all talk about the GP waits and you could be waiting for weeks and weeks for an mm-hmm. for appointment. Um, but my experience with the NHS with regards to my cancer was 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 phenomenal. Actually, you know, I recall um, when I told my sister and my um, my family when I was diagnosed the day on the Tuesday when I said I told my I didn't tell them beforehand other than my sister that I was going for a scan because um, I didn't feel the need to. I didn't think I wasn't worried. I'll be honest. I was not worried at all. I'd done my research. I thought 30 years old, no family history of cancer, fairly healthy. Yes, I never really hugely worked out on a daily basis, but I ate well and did work out once or twice a week. And um, I wasn't overweight. I was a, a very healthy weight all my life. Um, and I thought, no, I've not got cancer. So I was I was very laid back. Um, but when I got diagnosed and I told my family, the first thing they all said to me was, it doesn't matter, you don't have private cover. We'll go privately. We're not waiting around for the NHS. That was their first answer to me. They said, we're not waiting around for the NHS. You'll be here all day, I know. And I said, okay, guys, let me get my first appointment come through. Let me see what, what when it is. Okay, if the letter comes and they're telling me my first chemo is going to be in two, three months' time, okay, let's go private. But let me first see. And... Um, but actually, that wasn't the case. They were incredible, you know. The moment I got diagnosed on the Tuesday, within three weeks, 
I had brain scans, bone scans, body scans, all sorts of scans you could possibly imagine to eliminate the fact that the cancer hadn't spread because I was stage three, the tumor was quite big. And thankfully, from the grace of God, that it wasn't, it hadn't spread. Um, and then literally as soon as the scans were done within three weeks, my chemo started. And from there, it just rolled on very smoothly. Chemo finished, six weeks gap to recover for chemo. Surgery happened. Surgery happened, six to eight weeks gap to recover from surgery. Radiotherapy happened. Radiotherapy finished and I was discharged. And then a month later, I had my annual scan to say my scans were clear. Very smooth. Um, but, but where does the NHS fall short, I feel, is the emotional support. Um, there's nobody there, really, who can hold your hand and walk you through questions um, that you might be experiencing. Um, you know, the doctors are very, very busy with what they do and admire how much hours and how much effort and, and what they put in um, to the NHS and, and to patients. But the emotional side and the emotional support is, is really lacking. Um, and I really struggled with my mental health during my treatment. And I think I didn't really, I think what the hard part is, I struggled, but I didn't acknowledge that I was struggling. Um, and I think that's because I was in a frame of mind that I've just got to keep strong for my four-year-old son, for my husband. I've got to fight because if I don't fight and I lose the battle, I won't see my son grow up. And I can't do that. He's four. I can't. I, I, I used to see him every day. Um, and he would cry, mummy, please help me get ready in the morning. Because I used to always get him ready to get to school, even though I worked. I used to get him ready, get him to school and then go to work. And I physically wasn't able to do that during my treatment. I really struggled. Um, and I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the strength to even do his shirt buttons. And he struggled with that being four, not understanding why mummy wasn't doing the things for me that she normally used to do. So, you know, um. Emotionally, I really struggled, but I just was in the head thought process of, I know you've got to just fight. You've got to fight. Because if you don't fight and um, if you're not mentally strong and you don't um, and you give up, um, cancer will give up on you and, and you're going to lose the battle. So you need to stay strong. Um, it's only when really I would say my treatment finished, I went back full time to work, trying to get back to what you call the normal and wanted to forget I even had cancer, that actually my mental health really kicked in. And I went into depression and anxiety. I was on depression tablets. I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. I didn't want to go out and socialize. I didn't want to speak to people. Um, and it was all an effect because I realized what I had been through and I hadn't really dealt with it. So it was kind of like you were in a form of an adrenaline rush the whole time of managing your treatments, your diagnosis, being strong for yourself, your family, um, and everything else that was going on around you. But when you're able to get back to going to work, it was, am I ready for this? Am I still the same Ina that I was before being diagnosed? And that's key. And that's... Um... The last bit you said, I think, was the main part. And I think when you speak to a lot of cancer patients, not all, again, everyone's journey is different, but when you speak to a lot, and a lot of the ones that I've spoken to have all said the same thing, and I really resonate with it, is before cancer, I was a different owner. <laughs> and after cancer, I've become this new person. And your experiences shape who you are in life. And that's not just cancer, any experience, you know, good or bad. They they shape who you are as a person. Um, 
And cancer made me realize a lot of things. It made me reflect on my life. It made me think about things that I never really thought about or things that we don't really think about. You know, you always see people put posts on Facebook when somebody's passed away and they will write on their post and hug the people close to you, call your mom or, you know, because when you don't know when it's too late, all of these sort of things. And, you know, people say those things, they write those things. And then a week, two weeks to implement it, three, four weeks, and then life goes back to normal. It goes back to the rat race of working, looking after your kids, going back to sleep, working, looking after your kids, going back to sleep. And you don't really then implement it. But what cancer did for me was it put life into perspective and made me realize that I've been given a second chance at life. And if I don't grab it this time, and do it the right way, the way I want to do it, not the way society wants me to do it, not the way my parents want me to do it, not the way my friends or my husband want me to do it, the way I want to do it, because it's my life. If I don't do it the way I want to do it, then what what was the worth of me being given a second chance? That was my thought process. Um, And trying to figure out who the new me was was difficult. The new me wasn't the person who wanted to go back into the rat race of working ridiculous hours, working, you know, in the morning of my brother's wedding on my laptop because I had work to finish off and, um, you know, working whilst on annual leave. I didn't want to be that Aina anymore. I didn't want to be the Aina who went back to work when my son was five months old. I wanted to be the Aina who gave her now nine-year-old back then when my diagnosed cat treatment finished five-year-old I wanted to give my five-year-old time I wanted to give him his mum that he needed I still wanted to be the Ina who had a career I still wanted to be the Ina who had a HR career who focused on her career and was career focused because I am I am ambitious but I wanted to be better at balancing those and refocusing that my family my son my husband my friends I need to give those people that I love more time and if that means that I have to compromise a bit of money in order to gain those things, and then that's what I'm going to do. And, and that's what I did. How did how did your husband take this this journey with you? How did it impact your family? Um what's interesting is I think it impacted everybody in a very different way um, because of because of how they were with where where they were with me in my journey if that makes sense so my husband for example um, he was incredible throughout my treatment he was there every step of the way every chemo he was there even at times when I remember just trying to be practical and said, babe, but we don't have money to pay mortgage. You need to go to work. I will go to the chemo session with somebody else in the family, my sister or my brother. He was like, they can come, babe, but I'm going too. We will manage the money however we do that. If we get into debt and we have to pay off on your better, that's what we will do. I'm going with you. And he did. Um, but he he struggled very emotionally. He felt um, he had to keep it strong for me. But then what that kind of did was he didn't talk about it. And when I wanted to talk about it, he didn't allow me to talk about it because he felt then that that would mean I was getting weak and then he would get weak. So we never really spoke about it. You know, we just like a clockwork, just went through the journey bit by bit, bit by bit. Um, But he emotionally struggled. Um, 
really struggled. He And I saw that because I, I saw that he didn't want to talk about it and he wouldn't allow me to talk about it. And that was his way. Him closing down was his way of managing it. Um, my sisters, um, especially my elder sister, um, really struggled and she still does five years later when I talk about my hair loss aspect of my journey. Um, she still cries because she was the only person um, and my brother's ex-wife who saw me without my hair even my husband didn't see me without my hair and um, they were the only two so for her um she can visually if that makes sense see me as a cancer patient and um, and she always says to me that I I struggle to um destroy that image in my mind I still see that that you I know I still see that I still see how you what you went through physically um so for her she really struggled and she does um, a lot now and she's she's always been good with balancing kind of life and money and you know priorities but I think she's refocused even more and um, my mom and dad they cared for me so much you know um you know cleaning up my vomit and and you know my dad's a very religious man um prays five times a day and you know I remember when I when I broke down in the shower when I lost my hair for the first time and um, when I, I had I went in with a full head and, and kind of went into the shower and I could physically see literally all my hair falling into the shower um, and I was screaming crying and I recall my mom and dad outside the shower I was at their house and all my dad and my mom were shouting banging the door we don't care if you don't have clothes on we don't care what state you're in please just open the door and let us come in and I think that says a lot about how much they struggled you know it shows that they wanted to do so much but they couldn't you know, they wanted to help. And, and you know, what can, what can you do? You, they had, they, I think they felt very, very at loss. You know, all we can do is be there for our daughter and hug her. But this is our youngest daughter. She's our second youngest child. You know, we should have gone first, not her. And, and that was their idea. They, I think they thought I was going to die, you know. Even till today, it's been I laugh about this. But, you know, it's been five years on. And when I go to my parents' house, even now, my dad hugs me as if, I'm going to die. I was like, dad, can you let go? Because he's, I think he's, he's felt like he's, he's, he's been given the opportunity to have his daughter for that little bit longer, if that makes sense. Um, and he thought he was going to lose me. So and my dad's never been the sort of person who's been very emotionally there. He's, he's just not, he's just not been like that. I think a lot of, um, I've heard a lot of Asian friends of mine say that to me about their fathers or my dad's sort of person. He just goes out and works. And my mom's the one who runs the house, you know, um, but my dad still hugs me as if, you know, he doesn't do it with my other siblings. He hugs me as if, like, you know, like he's not going to see me tomorrow. And I'm just like, Dad, OK. Um, because they they thought they were going to lose their daughter. Um, and then when you have the added barriers of the society, you know, making comments or tell her not to tell her not to have the treatment and um, tell her to just pray. You know, you don't need to just go to Umrah Hajj and pray for her and she'll be fine and nothing will happen to her. Tell her not to go through this treatment. It's all a scam. They're all just, the NHS is trying to make money and don't tell her to have this treatment. You know, when you hear all of these sort of things, that burden on your parents, I just can't even imagine. I can't imagine how that how, must be. How did they, from your experiences or from what you'd seen how did they overcome that with the with the the judgments and the fears and the you know the questions that were being 
sent yeah. to them by families and friends on what they shouldn't and shouldn't do for you. How did how did they overcome that? Um, I think my mum, um, and she always has been, my mum was a little bit stronger in the mindset of this is my daughter's journey. Um, and she got to a point where she basically said, I don't want anybody coming around to see her. There's no need. She's not dying. This is not a showpiece that I need my daughter to be on showpiece and people to come and look at her and then, you know, you know, do their sorrows and kind of walk off. I don't, I don't need people in my house. I need my daughter to recover. I need her to be in a positive mindset. And I don't want people coming around. And my mum's always kind of been like that. She's always been really, she's been amazing like that from, you know, from day one. What my kids want, they want. And end of, I don't care what anybody has to say, you know. Whereas my dad struggled a bit more. My dad um, has always um, cared a little bit more about what people think, what society thinks, you know, what my friends think. And, oh, you know, if my friend's friend friend wants to come around to see my daughter, it's only because of good intentions, it's only because they want to come because they know I'm sad. So let them come. Don't worry about it, Ina. And they'll call me downstairs and they'll be like, oh, Ina, come downstairs. I'll fix your head cap that you got on. And, you know, it's it's a bit like, oh, my goodness seriously do am I seriously doing this I don't know who this person is I'm kind of sitting there in front of them trying you know I'm not allowed to kind of smile and be happy because you've got cancer you're not supposed to be happy you're supposed to show your suffering um but I think it took um I think I think it was I'm trying to recall you know sometimes things are a bit of a blur and I think I recall um one of his family friends had said to him that um don't have tell your daughter not to have a treatment and just um just pray and she'll be fine and you know maybe she's done something wrong in life and that's why this is just a punishment from god she just needs to repent get her to read the following blah 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 and um i think that kind of hit my dad a bit more not because they said tell her to just pray and it'll be fine more because they said your daughter must have done something wrong in life um and that's why she's in this situation and you know my dad um realized I'd heard the person individual say that and he put the phone down and he then said to me Beda, you know people will say what they want to say it's their opinion and you can't take that away from them and you can't fight with the whole world but Islam is there to guide you to give you strength you still carry on with your treatment but what you pray for is for Allah to give you strength to pull through that's what you pray for you pray for God to give you the strength to fight you don't stop your medicine. So don't worry about what anybody says. I think after that time, I think as far as I remember, none of his friends came around after that or extended family people. Because I think that was a bit of a wake up call for him that I need my daughter to just be in the right frame of mind to push through. But I think even with that, he struggled. I think he still struggled. I think at some points he wanted people to just be able, he didn't want to say no to people because he felt he was rejecting people in his society in his friend circle of coming around when he they felt all they wanted to do was support um I think he still struggles with that sometimes even now he doesn't really say breast cancer he says my daughter had cancer um because for him I think saying the word breast cancer is um he finds this a bit odd because he's talking about his daughter and wants to keep it in the sense of respect as a dad yeah yeah yeah, in the sense of, you know, that's my daughter I'm talking about. Do I want to talk about her boobs? That sort of thing. And again, I think that's a cultural thing, you know. We're, we're, we're brought up with 
being very body conscious and we don't talk about breasts and we don't talk about boobs and you know you know we don't do we don't you know share conversations about things like that with with our parents or with our brothers and we don't even mention the word you know and you know when things like that are on tv you know we change the channel if our dads are sitting next to us um so you know i think it wasn't sorry i think it was more about yeah the respect you know i shouldn't be talking about my daughter's breasts so i'm not going to say she had breast cancer i'm going to say she had cancer whereas my mom would say to people my daughter had breast cancer but my dad wouldn't what gave you hope in your journey and now what gives you also what gives you hope now what gave me hope then my son without a doubt um I think looking at my son who was only four years old at the time day in and day out and without a shadow of a doubt gave me hope I I don't I guess I'll never know uh, and I hope I never have to know but um I think if I didn't have my son I I don't know where I would have found the strength to fight you know looking at him every single day made me realize what I would be leaving behind and what he would lose if I lost the fight so I had to kind of for a moment there during my treatment not be selfish and think I know this isn't about you even though you're the one with the cancer it's not about how much pain you're going through if you lose this battle just imagine what your four-year-old son will go through he will lose his mom um so for me that oh that without a that gave me a a huge amount of strength and hope and and a fighting chance to kind of get through what gives me the hope now my son but as well as I think um going through cancer honestly it's um it's giving back um it's helping me in a very strange way (laughs) it's kind of um it's kind of therapy for me, helping others as well at the same time. You know, we're f- I'm five years on, um, four years from since my treatment finished, five years from when I was diagnosed. And I still get shooting pains in my right chest from where my surgery was because it was so close to my rib cage um, and the radiotherapy where it happened. It's kind of fractured um, a part of my rib cage. And um, I still get shooting pains even in four years on. Um, and... I'm still going through post-treatment for cancer where I have four weekly injections. So, you know, the journey doesn't just stop once your initial treatment stops. And I think that's what's key that a lot of people don't realise. You know, you your treatment finishes the initial part and then people think, oh, yeah, your you know, Ina's back to normal. But no, your journey continues for a good five to ten years. I'm on these injections for a good five to ten years. And I'm only, I think, with my injections, I'm only a year in. But so going through cancer gives me hope because I, I meet these incredible women who have gone through a much harder time than me, some who I think have maybe um, had an easier time but dealt with it in a different way, whose journeys were different, whose um, treatment plans were different, and, you know, who had um, different challenges with regards to um, the society, the community, their families, their husbands, people whose husbands left them, um, people whose kids were taken away from them, their plates were taken away from them, they weren't allowed to eat from the same place as their families. And knowing that, so going through cancer, me and Samina can give some support, some tranquility, some empathy, some trust back to these people to make their journey that little bit better or easier than what it would be without going through cancer gives me hope. It really does. It just makes going forward with life so much easier. You know, we've met women who have been had cancer twice, three times, reoccurring cancers. And I just sit there and think, well, if they can do it 
and look at these people. They're incredible. They're supporting us. They're donating. They're volunteering. They're giving their time. They're giving their energy. They're sharing their encouraging stories. Then why why would it mean Samina be able to do it? So five years from the all clear now. Yeah, and four years from the all clear, yeah. Four years, sorry. Five years from when I was diagnosed, four years from when the treatment finished and I had the all clear, yeah. Where has the time gone? <laughs> Who is Aina now? Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Who's Aina now? Okay. Um, Aina is still who she used to be, um, but the difference is she's come out of the closet a little bit now, and she's now not um, the Aina who used to hide behind what people's expectations were. Um, you know, I the Aina I used to be was big house, more money, bigger, nicer car, um, oh, more money again, oh, five-year plan and more money, bigger house, higher income. The Aina now is... Yes, I still have a career in HR. I head up a HR function in Reading. I still have that because I love um, my ambition and I still want to achieve more. But the new Aina is all about spending time with people she loves, being who she wants to be, and um, not living her life worrying about what others think. And how is your mental health now? Because before you said when you went back to work, you had the experiences of depression anxiety you were fearful of being having that label of oh you you've had cancer you've had breast cancer how do you feel now mentally um honestly very strong um for me cancer has um uh, this sounds crazy means to me not always say this i truly believe cancer was good for me and me and always say this, and I think people think we're a little bit crazy when we say it, but the reason why I say it is because I think um, cancer has given me something, has taught me a lesson that I would never have ever learned without this experience, ever. Um, again, like I said, value of time, how precious life actually is, you know, and letting go of situations, you know, just letting go. If you can't control it, let go and just move on, you know. If the, whatever somebody else is doing doesn't affect you, um, and it doesn't affect your decision in life. You let go and you just carry on. And um, it's put me in a hugely positive mindset. Um, and so, yeah, my mental health is in, in, in a much better place. Does it dip down sometimes, dip low? Of course it does. You know, like January especially is a difficult time for me. Every year I start my New Year's with a letter in the post to say you've got your annual scan. And then I'm having a waiting game for a week, a week and a half to know if the cancer, if I'm clear or not. Um, and when I'm surrounded, you know, succumbing through cancer is amazing. But what succumbing through cancer also does is, is um, you know, you're meeting so many people who are sharing their journeys. So it's a lot of um, it's a lot of people offloading on you. Um, and I've I've managed now to find a way of how I then offload, if that makes sense. So that you know, other people's um stories problems and um, concerns their experiences don't burden me so much that I start to then drown um and I found an outlet to do that um but you know we, we our mental health is not something that just stays in one place it will always go up and down and I think what's important is how we manage our mental health and you know I have found a way I read I um I it, you know 
put my energy within Sukun through cancer to help and give back and um, gratitude I practice a lot the art of gratitude hugely you know and um, I'm super grateful for what I have in life and and the experiences I've been through and what others don't have and I have and that puts me in a in a much better um, space mindset much better mindset and um, I go and spend time with my loved ones you know if I'm feeling like I'm I'm starting to, to dip low I'm starting to worry I focus my energy somewhere else where it's going to be positive um and lastly I think um when you I think um what you give out to the world is what you attract so you know um if you give out positive vibes, you give out positivity, you give out happiness, you know, you, you know, you give out all of that to the world, that's what you'll attract. Um, and that all of that surrounding you then builds on your positive mindset. So, you know, I'm, I'm continuing on the journey. Yeah, it dips, but oh goodness, I'm in a much better place than I've ever been in my life, I think. Sounds like your journey is yet to continue to be the best version of An- um, Aina. Absolutely. You know, we're that's always so developing, good. aren't we? <laughs> You're always trying to improve yourself and that's the best way to do it. There's always something you can learn from either somebody else's journey or somebody else's experiences. So I think one of the most important things that you said was you're still Aina that you were before, but with more positive energies about the things that you need to be involved in. Oh, absolutely. I am who I am. That's not going to change. But I think you just learn to um, let go of situations and realise actually life isn't about pleasing others because it's, it's your life and you need to make it the best version of what you can. Um, and you're not going to get a second chance at this. And if you do and you're lucky to get a second chance like I did, then, you know, you'll be silly to to put it for waste. Make the most of what you have. and 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 grab it by two hands and then you know and create your own story really so I'm hoping I'm doing that so with um so going through cancer how can and how can people reach out to you but also why is it important for South Asian communities to really understand what breast cancer awareness is so, so firstly, South Asian people, I think, um, are the second lowest community um, that um, have the lowest breast screening um, rates, uptake rates. And one thing I harp on about um, over and over again is early detection saves lives. As a community, whatever the reason is, whether it's a stigma, is it a taboo of talking about cancer, whether it's, oh, we just can't be bothered or we're afraid of what the outcome would be or we can't tell people that we're going for these mammograms. People are not leaving their homes when they get the letters of their annual screening to go and get their mammograms done. And the earlier your cancer is caught, if it is cancer, and that's a my, there's a minority of people. I think it's only like, I think it's less than 10% of people who actually go to their mammograms on the annual screening actually end up with cancer. Otherwise, it's benign or there's something else. But people aren't leaving their homes to go to these mammograms. And the earlier your cancer is caught, the higher chance the doctors have to save your life. And that's key. That is so, so important. And 
we need to educate our, and this is what Sukun Through Cancer is doing, we're educating our community, our young girls to say, firstly, you should be self-examining once a month. It literally takes two minutes. You can do it while you're about to go to sleep, lying down. You can do it before when you're in the shower. Um, and our Facebook and Instagram page and will show um, how you can do that um, and when you should be doing it. It has all the information on there. Um, but, you know, we, we need to educate our community to say you should be self-checking once a month. We should be telling, um, you know, the kids to be talking to their mums and dads about it. Their mums should be educating their daughters growing up that, you know, you need to start self-checking. You need to be more self-aware of your bodies and it's nothing to hide. You know, we're not asking you to go to the middle of a shopping centre and take your top off and examine yourself. We're asking you to do it in the comfort of your own home on your own take the responsibility to do it um if you do find something call for help go to your gp ask them they will be able to guide you if they think you need to be further referred or not but go and get help you know hiding away at home is not going to make the problem go away it will make the problem worse and then your if it is cancer your chances of survival you know decrease day in day every every day that you you know don't go to the GP because you, you're afraid for whatever the reason is. Um, we're educating the community on the on the um, myths that are attached to cancer. You know, I heard things like wear a black bra, the cancer will go away. You know, that's out, that's outrageous. You know, how are we living in the 21st century where people think wearing a coloured bra is going to make your cancer go away? But we do have people who believe those myths because, I don't know, maybe your grandparents' parents told them that and you know, and we we are brought up with these cultural values and belief systems that, you know, we live by and, and they really, really kind of um, hinder our our decisions that we make in life and it can affect our health. So, you know, we're educating the community on that. And we're telling older women, it's not just kids we're trying to educate, we're saying to the older women, how many of you actually self-check? I never did when I was 30 and look where I am. Um and if I had self-checked, maybe I wouldn't have found my tumour when it was, you know, a size of a golf ball. Maybe I would have found it when it was much smaller. Um, and I wouldn't have had to go through chemo. Maybe just radiotherapy would have worked or just surgery would have worked. Um, so, yeah, so it's important to educate them about the importance of self-checking, the importance of when your parents are 50, 55, and they get their annual screening letters through the post that we're telling at the young kids, please t- question your mum. Mom, why are you not going? Have you not had your annual screening this year? What's going on? Why haven't you been? You know, let's talk about it. Let's educate our men so they can support their wives, their sisters, their mothers through this treatment and people aren't having to fight the battle on their own um, because they think it's going to spread or if you touch somebody, it's going to spread and you're going to catch it. You know, all of these sort of things. Um, and I think the last part of Sukun Through Cancer, a very big part of it is we are holding um, Never Alone Networks. And I think the name in its own says it, Never Alone. We don't want anybody to have to fight cancer alone. And we find that when you're South Asian, it's very lonely. People from the South Asian community, again, for whatever reason it is, they don't want to come out and socialize with other people going through the same journey as them. They don't want to talk or they do want to talk, but they don't have a, a safe haven to go to, to talk to people and to share, you know, experiences which are culturally affecting them as well with their cancer. Um, 
And we want to create that safe haven for them, for them to go and get support, which is tailored um, to their cultural backgrounds, you know, um, translating um, the paperwork that you get, which is a lot of paperwork when you get diagnosed, translating that in a language that they better understand, um, supporting them maybe to go to their appointments because they have nobody to go to um, the appointments with. Or maybe they have some family to go with, but they don't want to take family. Um, so, yeah, all of these sort of things. So how many people are on board the Sukhwan Through Cancer charity now? So the structure currently, um, we want to grow, but we want to grow slowly. We don't want to run before we can walk. We want it to be that when we do start to grow, that we have the resources, we have the uh, facilities and the sources in place in order to support our patients. And we're not, you know, turning people away. So currently we have, um, so it's me, Samina, Hussein, and the two founders. We then have a trustee board, which is myself, Samina, and Inda Punaji. He um, is brilliant and has been great um, for us from a very um, heavily compliance perspective to make sure everything's in place and legally done and documented the policies are in place the constitution's all right our values our mission objectives are all clear um so you know he's been great so that's our trustee board and then under our trustee board we've got our volunteers and we've got approximately 30 volunteers at the moment um we just last sunday did a volunteer training and 2020 planning so we have got all of our events um up on our website on our facebook our instagram page um for the whole of 2020, all our fundraising events. And we will, on top of that, slot in our Never Alone Network dates very, very shortly within the next few weeks for the rest of the year as well. And where are these um, Never Alone um, events going to be taking place if people wanted to come along or needed support? So the Never Alone Networks are held in Slough. Um, Our referrals um, that we have um, will be coming from... um, Windsor, Slough and Maidenhead clinics because um, ultimately that's where our support network currently is and we have to kind of geographically um, put in an area that we can physically support <laughs> um, and we are able to support you know if we if we have it in all areas possible then we're not going to be able to manage and um, being a small startup charity but that's not to say that our events in Slough and you know Sandy you know somebody who's going through cancer and needs and needs and lives in, I don't know, Harrow and needs um, some support that they can't come. Of course they can. So anybody is welcome. But our referrals that we get from the NHS, um, from the doctors, um, come through from the three areas that I've mentioned. But anybody from any area can come and join the sessions in Slough. And do you just provide support for the individual or for their families as well? Oh, absolutely for their families too. And um, these never alone networks are not just for the patients, it's for their patients, for their families, their carers. Um, because the one thing again means to me like that through our journeys is that you're not the only one who gets affected by cancer. Your family really struggles. And if your family doesn't know how to support you, ultimately that has effect on you when you're going through treatment. Um, and it's important that the family feel like they've been cared for as well through such a difficult time. So, oh, definitely, it's for um, the patients, their families and their carers. It's also for patients who are in remission. 
Um, so if you finish your treatment, but you're still in remission, then some of these um, never alone networks would be great for you. Things like body and exercise, mindfulness, you know, they will still be great for you. Are your family now more aware of not just breast cancer, but other other forms of cancer and as a family extended and immediate, they're more aware of cancer? Um, <clears throat> um, I would... <clears throat> I would hope so. <laughs> um, I think I think my um, my family directly, absolutely, and my friends. I think my close friends and family. Um, yeah, I think they're definitely a lot more aware. Um, they're a lot more educated on it. They also support me with my ch um, charity, Sukhorn Through Cancer. <clears throat> so they're at the events, they're at the networking events, they're at the workshops that we do at schools sometimes. So I think they're definitely more self-aware. Um, you know, a lot of our volunteers are, you know, we had the volunteer training last week, Sunday, and one of the volunteers said, because of you guys, for the first time in 10 years, I'm going to, for my smear test. And she said, I know smear test has got nothing to do with breast cancer. But coming to your events has made me realise the importance of self-care. And for the first time in 10 years, I've actually said yes to going to my smear test. And that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. You know, if even that could change a person's mindset on what they do and how they make decisions to look after their health is, is absolutely a win. And that's what we want to do. So I think it is. Um, <clears throat> and we're hoping, you know, it goes further out. You know, we do kit workshops in schools and some of the girls um, came back and said to us, we did a workshop there last year and then we did some again this year. And I bumped into one of the girls from last year and she said to me, oh, you're the lady who did the workshop about breast cancer. I said, yeah. I said, um, are you implementing what, you, what we taught? And she said, oh, yeah, of course. And my mum even went for her annual screening this year. And so, you know, the change is happening. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Of course it doesn't. You know, it, it takes time. Um, but if we can slowly but surely change one person's mindset at a time, it will impact eventually to everybody. And it will push out. I know it will. Well, your journey, not just yourselves, but Samia's as well, and the impacts you are making with all generations, is outstanding and I hope it continues not just in the area you're working at nationwide because it's something that all South Asian communities need to be aware of and learn about and it's great that you have the workshops in schools and you're able to get information on your website and Facebook you said is that correct? Absolutely. Our Facebook is Sukun Through Cancer and so is our Instagram page Sukun Through Cancer. Um, our website is sukunthroughcancer.com um, and yeah, um, you know, our numbers are on there. Our email address is contact at sukunthroughcancer.com. So there's several different ways we're happy for people to get in touch with us if they want to support or if they need support themselves or if their families contact us and say they need the support. Um, and they don't know what to do, um, whatever the support is. And, and you know, even if it's not support, even if you just feel you need to speak to somebody, then, you know, please do that. Please get in touch. If you could give any tips to anyone listening to this podcast, what would you say to them? Keep a positive mindset. 
positivity is key. Um, just always think positive. There's always good in something. And I I know that sometimes, and I always say, people say to me, oh, that's a load of rubbish. You know, people are dying in a world. What's good in it? And there's, there's always try to find the silver lining in everything. You know, if you keep yourself and um, positive, if you keep a positive outlook on life, um, you will attract that energy and things will be better and you will do better in life. Um, so for me, yeah, I think even when you're going through treatment, as horrid as it is, and I've been there, I know I've had, you know, the chemo, the surgery, I've had the radiotherapy. I know what it's like. Um, but yeah, stay positive, keep a positive mindset in life and and, and you'll be fine. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences, your journey, your no, cause you. with going through cancer. You're an inspiration to everyone and all those beautiful women out there who will be learning how to self-check, self be more self-aware, not just through breast cancer, just with being more self-aware about their health and their body. Absolutely. It's an absolute amazing, amazing work you're doing. Um, Thank you. And Thank you for joining us today on our podcast to raise this awareness. And I hope and we hope through Seek Forgiveness and through Scorn Through Cancer, we're able to support as many as we can. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's been amazing. You've been a wonderful, wonderful person. And thank you for being on board to do this podcast, because sometimes it's not the most easiest thing to do to talk about um, your journey. But... You're an inspiration. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support Seat Forgiveness further, you can donate to us at ko-fi.com forward slash Seat Forgiveness. The link is in the show notes. For £3, the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us to continue our projects as a not-for-profit mental health organisation. All donations will be used in future projects.